For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The Gnostics of the first century had the early church surrounded with all their false teachings. It was time for the Apostle Paul to expose their error and affirm the truth of the gospel. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Rules Versus Relationship. So as you turn to Colossians 2 or wait for it to appear on the screen, I will ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, it's just such a delight to open up your living word that's sharp like a sword and able to just cut through all the nonsense and get straight to the heart of the matter inside of our hearts and lives. Make the changes, the necessary corrections, bring the comfort through your living word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When I'm sharing the gospel from time to time with the unbelievers, uh, they often say, hey, you know, I'm not very religious. And they're very surprised to hear me say, well, neither am I. I'm not religious. And they always kind of cock their head like, what do you mean by that? Well, I get a chance then to share the difference between religion and a relationship. So I let them know, well, you know, don't be so surprised. It was the religious leaders who crucified the Son of God right in their very midst. And so the religion in the bats, negative sense of the word, is just uh, a focus on ritual, traditions, keeping rules, the definition of uh, do's and don'ts, what I can and can't do, and that kind of thing. And sometimes those do's and don'ts aren't even mentioned in the Bible. And so, and even if they are mentioned in the Bible, that's not what saves us is by being good and keeping laws. Law can never impart life. And so what's different from a religion and between a religion and relationship is this supernatural coming to Christ, hearing this message from heaven, opening our hearts and having a person Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, encounter our souls and and be changed and have this experience that Jesus called being born again. And the funny thing is, is he told the born again uh, instructions to a religious person whose job was 24-7 to keep laws and rules and all of this stuff. He said, dude, you need, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Life has to happen in you, and rules are not cutting it. Rules are not the answer. Now, as you might imagine, something about religion and rules is in our text this morning, and it's called legalism. And uh, the false teachers who were surrounding that little church at Colossae, the church of the Colossians, were, were coming up with religious ideas that had nothing to do with knowing the Lord. And so uh, a very popular component of false teaching, false religions, and warped theologies and heresies um, is 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 bringing out rules to say you got to do this in order to be saved. They bring out a ladder and they say you got to, every false religion has a ladder. You got to do this, got to do that, 
You can't do this. And you're climbing your way to heaven. Jesus said, I came down from heaven to give my life as a ransom payment to save the world. So religion is the ladder up by man's effort to obtain heaven. Christianity is a relationship with the one who came down from heaven to do what you and me can never do in our own power. And it's called grace. And he says, whosoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But, you know, the Gnostics, and that's what their name was or would become, uh, surrounded those little uh, first century churches, the New Testament churches, with all these crazy ideas. And so the Lord is going to use the Apostle Paul to kind of uh, straighten them out. And so, you know, it's the devil's favorite tool is to mess with the truth of the gospel because the truth is what sets your heart free. The truth is what saves you, right? So if you mess around with the truth and distort it enough, you won't have a heart that's set free. Neither can you be saved because it's the truth that saves you. It's the truth that keeps you on the straight and narrow path. It's the truth that makes you an effective and productive Christian. It's by living the truth that you will hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. And so the devil is really busy twisting and warping and adding and subtracting to throw Christians off. And so we're going to talk about that because Paul is going to say, watch out, here are the three errors and here's the remedy, here's the truth, and this is what our text is going to be about. Let me give you the context, and then we'll dive in. The context is important here, because he spent a chapter and a half already talking to them, exalting Christ, and saying, listen, here's what happened to you when you got saved. Christ came into your life. You heard the message that originated in heaven, not from any man, and you heard that, and you obeyed, you believed, right? You trusted, you opened your heart. And Christ came in by his Holy Spirit and gave you new life. Who is Christ? He is God. So he spent an, a chapter and a half saying, you've got God, Jesus is God. The gospel is God's word. It's the revelation of everything about him, everything you need to know. So you've got the word of God. You've got Jesus Christ. You've got God himself fused to your spirit in an inner experience, right, called Christian conversion. He says, you don't need some guys telling you, and the Gnostics would come in and say, hey, there's more information. Hey, if you really want to go deeper, follow us in our teaching, right? And he's saying, no, 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 you have God. You have Jesus. You, you, you hit the jackpot, buddy. You've, you've got the truth. You've got the word of God. You've got everything you need, so therefore... Do not let anyone judge you, these teachers, by what you eat or drink or regarding a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or Sabbath day even. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels, wow, disqualify you for the prize. Oh, such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. 
He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Finishing up with verse 23. These regulations, indeed, they have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They do absolutely, absolutely no good to help you live the Christian life, to change, to have self-control. And so that is our text. We managed to fit it all on one slide for you. And uh, there are the last eight verses of chapter two, which really exposes what will come to be called Gnosticism. It's not called that in the first century. It's the second century it gets a title. And so there are three basic uh, errors to Gnostic thinking. Real quick, Gnostic thinking was how to take the gospel and make it fit into Greek ideas and culture. That's all it was. The Greeks had a way of thinking, and they said, hey, we like your gospel, but we need to make some necessary changes so that Greeks can really get into this. And then what they did was change the gospel. It was no longer the gospel. And so there are three errors here. They, they unfold quite nicely every two verses just about. The first two verses, the error of legalism. I'm going to give you a definition for that. The second two verses, 18 and 19, uh, the error of mysticism, and we're going to talk about that. And then finally, the last three or four verses, the error of asceticism. Um, and that definition is coming as well. Now, the first thing I want to say before we even move on is you could see the reality of Romans 8.28 here, that God causes all things to work together for good, Right? Because through this diabolical attack from the evil one who wants to just quash out the life of the, the baby church, the, 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 the Christianity was in its infant stages, right? So stop on it while it's a little seedling before it becomes a redwood, a giant redwood tree, right? And so he was busy trying to mess with it, but look how God used that attack that theological attack on the church that caused the church a lot of problems, but it was for good. Because now as a response, we get a clearer definition of what Christianity is and what Christianity is not. And those applications are broad. And even though 2,000 years have passed, we can uh, apply a lot of these truths. So what Christianity is, what it is not, is what we're seeing. And definitely what it is not is legalism. So let's isolate the first two verses and talk about what legalism is. He says, therefore, in light that you have everything you ever needed to walk with God through Christ and the word of God, don't let anybody exclude you is the idea. Tell you you're not a Christian because you don't eat or drink the way that they uh, tell you to, or with regard to observing a special holiday. So diet and days, 
they were saying that some things needed to be cut out of your life and some things needed to be uh, required to you, demanded of your life. Diet and days are the two things. And he's saying, actually, these things have been completed in Christ. So fulfilled in Christ, I should say. So the definition of legalism is a misuse or misappropriation or an uh, imbalanced view of the law. So you hear legalism, legalism, the law. Well, in this case, we're not talking about civil law. We're talking about the law of God. We're talking about uh, the Old Testament law. And so some of these Gnostics were either Jewish wannabes or they were really, they just loved everything Hebrew. And so they in, in, incorporated some of the Old Testament ceremonial laws and said that those ceremonial laws are required if you want to, to be found in heaven and if you want to go deeper in your relationship with God. Now, let me explain to you the ceremonial laws. There were three kinds of laws. So what are we talking about in the Old Testament? There were political laws for the nation of Israel. Those laws don't apply to us because we're not a nation. We're a church. All right? So then you had ceremonial laws. Ceremonial laws governed the Judaism, the religion of Judaism, the ceremonies. And the ceremonies, Paul is going to say, are shadows of what Jesus would come one day, who Jesus was and what he was going to do and how we were going to get saved. So the ceremonial laws, you know, you had to bring certain offerings and, and how we got right with God. They were not intended to be forever. They were painting a picture of a future reality. And when Christ came, those ceremonial laws are finished. And we're going to talk more about that. And the third law command in the Bible is God's, God's moral laws. They never change. Thou shalt not murder. You'll never come into a time in the world where you could say, okay, we don't have to keep that one anymore. Uh, in, in spite of all the... the the ways that you might feel you want to keep that law around, you know, in this day and age, but no. Uh, so the moral law stays. Do you get that so far? So legalism manifests itself in three particular ways. First of all, a person says, I must keep God's commands in order to be saved. Well, we've already talked about that. The problem with that uh, thinking is that nobody can keep God's laws. Uh, nobody uh, has ever kept God's laws completely. And um, the Bible says you cannot. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said, is there anybody righteous on the planet? No, not one, says the Bible. That's why we need a savior because we are unable to keep his commands. Galatians chapter three said that God actually gave the moral law to lead us, to convict us of sin, to show us our sin and show us our helplessness and then lead us to Christ, to a savior. The second way legalism manifests itself is a person believes I must keep God's commands to maintain my salvation. And we already alluded to this. You cannot maintain by your effort that which you did not earn by your effort. And the third way, and I think this is the way we're talking about here, is a person comes up with a code of conduct, not biblical, 
that they believe needs to be observed, even though you can't find chapter and verse about it, uh, to, in order to be a Christian. And they judge and condemn and feel superior over those who do not keep that same code of conduct. And that's the legalism that we really deal with in the church a lot, the church universal. And I think it's what he's talking about here. So he's encouraging Christians to use their Christian liberty, which is interesting here. Uh, And he's saying in regard to two things, the diet and the days. Now, as I mentioned, the diet came from uh, the Jewish Old Testament where there was a kosher rules about what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. And then the observances were special days that they were commanded to keep. And uh, a new moon celebration was uh, once a month. So, So the celebrations were weekly, monthly, and annually to come before God and to learn all about what Christ would someday do permanently. So they would bring a sacrifice weekly, monthly. The new moon was at the, at the dawn of a new moon, the first sliver, the shofar would blow, a new month to consecrate our lives to God. They'd come together, but first the sacrifice. Every party started with a blood sacrifice that pointed to the future reality. It was a shadow saying, there's going to be table fellowship afterwards, and that's what ended those parties. They had table fellowship with God. That was the idea. They were having communion. They confessed their sins onto the livestock. The livestock died in their place. And then they became the, the barbecue, and there was a barbecue. And they were sitting in the presence of God without sin, with joy and peace and soul rest. That was a shadow of what would happen when not livestock or a lamb but the Lamb of God would appear in a body, God himself, and take on the sins of the world. And, and, and he would shed his blood, blood and, and be broken for our sins. And then the resulting consequence was eternal life and joy and peace. So what was being shown there through that was no longer relevant. And so, you know, one writer put it this way, and I really like this. Christianity is too free and exuberant to be legislated down to times and seasons. Its celebrations are daily, for every day is holy in Jesus. Its moon never wanes, and the peaceful tranquility that Jesus provides the soul is like an unbroken Sabbath. When we come to Christ, we enter the eternal day of rest for our souls. There's joy and peace with God because we are joined to him eternally. And so Paul will say in other places, look, if you want to cue, so these Christians came to the Lord And they said, we're moving the worship service to Sunday because that's the new tradition because the Lord rose resurrection Sunday morning. So we're all going to start meeting the first day of the week to separate us from the old school Judaism that wasn't receiving Jesus. So Paul would say, listen, if you want to keep Saturday as your day, 
You can do that, but you cannot judge others who have moved the day to Sunday because, folks, it's not even about the day of the week anymore. It's having been fulfilled. You have found Christ, and you're in the Sabbath now. So you can have a Sabbath every day of the week if you want, but you can't put that on other people. Now, the dietary laws kept the Jews, never for health. Not one scripture says there's anything about health. It was all, always about holiness. So what God did, ingenious, he said, these foods you can eat, these foods you can't eat to the Jews. What did that do? It separated them from their pagan world. And if you, you would feel and see the separation to God at the dinner table where you cannot eat with them. And if you cannot eat with somebody, you can't be with them, right? So there was no table fellowship, which really meant there was no fellowship with surrounding pagan people. That's a picture. That's a picture of when Christ comes, he dies for our sins, and he calls us what? He calls us out of the world and to him. And we're separated. He says, come out from them and be ye separate, says the Lord. That's the kind of fulfillment that the dietary laws were a shadow of. And then Jesus said, listen to me. You really think by eating something, you can commend yourself to God by what you eat or don't eat? He said, don't you realize Jesus' words, Mark chapter 7, don't you realize that when you eat something, you eat it, you ingest it, and it's eliminated out of the body? Jesus' words. He says, it's not what goes into the mouth. He says, all food is clean. Mark chapter 7, verse 19. Jesus said, all food is clean. He says, you know what, folks? You better be worried about not what goes in your mouth, but what comes out of your mouth. Those are the things, your words, your attitudes, is what defiles you or brings you close to God or not. So he says there's freedom there. And so this is what he's talking about. The Old Testament ceremonial laws were not substance. They were shadow. So if something's the shadow, you're like, what's casting the shadow? What's casting the shadow? What's casting the shadow was the Son of God on a cross, dying for the sins of the world, rising from the dead to bring us life. That's what the shadow was. So you don't go back to the sign, right? It would be like, and I've used this before because I like this illustration. You know, we took the kids to Disneyland when they were younger. It, was a, it would seem like a long, long ride, and it was. And we'd get down there, and we'd get on I-5, and there would be the sign, Harbor Boulevard, Disneyland, next three exits. And the kids saw the sign, and they just, Busted out with joy, wow, over the seats and all of that in those days, you know. You, you didn't have to buckle up all the way, you know. Somehow we, somehow we survived, but it is important to buckle up, you know. But uh, when, uh, when, <laughs> send your emails to Pastor Carlin. Right. <laughs> He's my new go-to guy. So uh, imagine this, you get to Disneyland, you go through and you, you know, you're riding all the rides and you're on Space Mountain and you're uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, which I love. I just, just ride that thing over and the Raiders of the Lost Ark and all of that. And suddenly one of your kids says, Dad, Dad, this is fun and everything, but I've got to get out to I-5 again. Get, take me out to I-5. And says, so, okay, okay, I'll take you out to I-5. Calm down. Because I uh, take him out to I-5. Where? Where? Right here. Harbor Boulevard, Dad. Look at the sign. Look at the sign, Harbor Boulevard, Harbor. Okay, we need to find a doctor. 
or, or a, a therapist. Why? Because, dude, that was the sign. Why, why would you want to go back? Let me give you another illustration. There was a wedding here. Uh, Joe and Desiree, now Ducharme, got married here. Beautiful young couple, met in young adults. I baptized Desiree. Just he wants to go to Bible college there. It's just a beautiful thing. They're on their honeymoon starting last night and today. Now, going up to the marriage, there, there's a rehearsal. There's premarital counseling. Um, there's an engagement party. I'll guarantee you, you call Joe, text him, all right? And just say, hey, dude, you know, we're going to, let's celebrate the engagement again right now. Come on back from the honeymoon. And we just want to just kind of the sign, you know, we could go over the engagement, the rehearsal of the wedding. I can guarantee you that you're not going to get a text back from him. He's enjoying the marriage and the honeymoon and the idea of what everything led up to him. And these guys were saying, hey, go out to Harbor Boulevard, I-5 again. He's saying, come on back from the wedding and the honeymoon. And let's talk about what really matters, the engagement party. Let's go over those pictures again. What? That's what he's saying. You're in Christ. You're free. It is for freedom that Christ sets us free. But it's not a freedom to. It's a freedom from. It's a, from this crazy, performance-oriented, um, man-made, rule-keeping life. Let me give you an example. Even good things. Oh, we got, I had a friend in Bible college. Let's call him Steve because that was his name. Very good. Steve said, hey, I've got a problem with my prayer life, man. You know, some guy's speaker came in and said, what's wrong with you Bible college students? You need to be spending an hour in the morning, an hour in the morning, an hour in the morning. And he got it. He was like an hour every morning or else. He was an hour, not 56 minutes. He would feel, he'd say, oh, at 56 minutes, I'm like, I know I don't have to do that, but I feel like I'm not doing it for God. And then the rest of the day, I feel bad because it was only 53 minutes or 48 minutes. And then, and he said, I got another problem. I got another problem. I've started this prayer list and it's got like 45 people on it, right? And so I got to pray every day for 60 minutes for all of these people every time. And then, then when I forget one, I'm like, oh, no, I forgot one, you know. And then, you know, he's just bound up. And then somebody walked by and said, hey, Steve, don't forget I got that test on next Friday. He goes, there's another one, 35, 36. <laughs> All of this stuff, Christ came to get us free of that. But I got to do this. I got to climb this. I got to do that. I got to do this. There are things that Christians don't do. Of course, because there's sin. But, but the, the, the idea that we've been set free, that our salvation comes not because of anything we have ever done, that we're so rules-oriented and we feel so good about ourselves. So I had another friend in Bible college. We'd go down the hill Sunday morning to go to church, right? And so we, we'd all get together, and he was from this uh, more formal denomination, and he dressed up which I thought was cool. First of all, I didn't have a suit, so I just thought, wow, you look pretty good. That's a nice suit. And, uh, you know, here's the problem. When I go to worship God, I give him my best. Because don't you, Ross, think 
that God is worthy of your best? And I said, yeah, he's worthy of my best. And this is what I got here. I got my jeans. I got my T-shirt. And I think God looks at my heart. I'm not sure. I've been reading the Bible. And, and, and you know, but no. If you want to wear a suit, wear a suit and look good in it, right? And you do. But you cannot put that on somebody else. And this is what he's talking about. All these scruples, man. And I did some searching. Oh, my word. The church has been inundated from the dawn of time with all these things that we got to do and don't got to do. And I mean, uh, beer and wine is one of them. So beer and wine, they were saying, listen, this wasn't a Jewish thing. This was a pagan Gnostic uh, form of asceticism, which denied pleasure of any kind. So you weren't allowed to drink wine or beer. The Bible says wine and beer are okay in moderation. Drunk is always wrong, and it's a sin. But, okay, so, yeah, all right, very good. <laughs> so, yeah, I lost my thought. Where was that? <laughs> Something about beer and wine. Oh, yeah, 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 beer and wine. So they were saying, listen, you can't enjoy that. And, and you, can't find, you can't find a proof text about that. Um, uh, certain foods, of course, you know, um, uh, head coverings, um, women wearing pants or pantsuits. And then they started with women all through the ages, uh, hair length and makeup and jewelry and all of this stuff. Board games. Board games were not right for Christians. What? I don't even believe some of this. And a woman was telling me, an older sister in the Lord was telling me, listen, I can play poker and I can play uh, board games now, but, but forever it was in my conscience that it was a sinful thing to play board games. Board games. One guy told me about a collar. You, the collar had to be pointed, not rounded. You, you know, God doesn't care about the collars. You know, and then I got a guy, a guy with the Christmas tree, the Christmas tree people. Oh, what are you doing with a Christmas tree in the lobby of a church? And I'm like, enjoying it? Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you know? Well, listen, dude, uh, the only thing about it, bringing a tree, cutting a tree down, hauling it into your house, and putting lights on it, the only thing about that, it's weird. Yes, it is strange, but it's fun. It has nothing to do, I don't worship the tree. Dude, if you don't want to worship, if you don't want a tree in your house at Christmas, if you don't want to call it Easter, because that's a pagan word, let me remind you about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, because they're all pagan words to deities. All right, and so maybe you have an appointment on Moon Day, you know? <laughs> Come on, man, you know? Trick or treating. What's the trick or treating? All I, all I think is kids having fun and can't go and knocking on some doors and saying, Give me some free candy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but everybody's got these big feelings about things, you know? And he's saying, Don't let them judge you. Don't let them come up to you and say, hmm, jeans and a t-shirt or a Christmas tree? Seriously? You know, oh my gosh. I mean, it's everything. You just start bringing your bags to Whole Foods and think you're better than everybody else. Suddenly, oh my gosh. I'm not one of those 
plastic bag buyers. Oh, just give the flesh a little bit of an inch and suddenly, oh, we're so much better than everybody else. And this is the kind of music. What kind of, you listen to that music? No, I have it on because, you know, I just was hoping somebody would hear it outside my car, you know? <laughs> you, you know, it just goes on and on and on. All church ladies used to say, well, I hope the Lord doesn't return when you're in the theater because you'll get left behind. You know who's going to get left behind? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Stop. Hey, 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 hey. Do you get the point? Okay, can I move on? All right, good, all right. You said that a little too enthusiastically. Especially that one right over there. All right, so, yeah, here's what he says. It's so funny here, because here's he's saying, in the midst of somebody trying to put on you false thinking, then I want you to push back with liberty. But if that liberty means you're going to hurt somebody or be careless about it or it's not done in love, then knock it off. So for example, he says, you're going to uh, sit and drink a glass of wine in front of an alcoholic brother? That's not loving. That's bad. You gonna take a Jew out and sit down, tell him about the gospel over a pork chop with bacon sauce? <laughs> I don't think so, right? Because you're not acting in love. So now we don't go all the way with that because somebody will run your complete life by what they get stumbled over. It's common sense, common sense. And he says, uh, listen, uh, let's sum this up right here. It's a great scripture. It's Romans 14. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of a cheeseburger. All food is clean. All is a big word. All food, the, the Bible, all food, Christians and food, stop it. If, if you're whatever you need to do with your food, that's nice. We're happy for you. But just stop putting that on us. Because the Bible said, Ross, you can eat whatever you want on the planet. Enjoy. <laughs> all right. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. And this was, the meat was dedicated in the pagan markets to Zeus. So they put the incense on it and wave the branches over it and do the hocus pocus over the meat, right? And then some Christians who were pagans before, who thought, well, who enjoyed that it was blessed by Zeus, right? They'd come by and they'd go, uh, and they'd hear, you know, and they'd just smell the incense and they're like, I think I'm going to have some carrots today, you know? So they didn't want to eat the, the, the Zeusified meat, right? So Paul said, there's no such thing as Zeus. Christians, if you want to eat the meat, you can eat the meat. God's not upset with you. But some people said, I can, Paul, I can't do it. I just go, no, 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 no. I'd rather be a vegan, you know, and, and, and they were. And Paul said, that's okay. But if somebody who's, who's weak like that and it gets all bent out of shape and you're having them over for dinner, don't serve the Zeus meat. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I can't explain my actions. 
It is not... It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever, oh, this is the most ignored scripture in the Bible. And you get to read it with, look at this, verse 22. So whatever you believe about gray matters, that all the issues that you cannot point to me of a chapter and verse, that's called a gray matter, okay? If that's a gray issue. So whatever you think about these nebulous things, keep between you and God. Please, we beg you. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. So we're going to move on because you get it now. Amen? Amen. Now, we go from legalism to mysticism. This is another component. Let's look at it. He says, now, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels with wackadoodles. They're worshiping angels. And he say, disqualify you and say, you're not really a Christian. Oh, that person goes into great detail. Oh, let me tell you what I saw. I was in a vision. And it was revealed to me by an angel. All these mysterious truths. Let me go into detail. And he says, his unspiritual mind puffs him up, right? But it's just filled with idle notions, which is emptiness, because he lost connection to Christ and the word of God. So let's talk about mysticism. Mysticism is the attempt to have a spiritual experience without Jesus, without the word of God, without the gospel. There's a, a disconnect. So, of course, it's attractive to be a spiritual person. So somebody will tell me, oh, no, I'm not a Christian. I'm not interested in that narrow understanding of God, that there's only one way, Jesus. But I am a spiritual person, of course, because a spiritual person can be spiritual and just call the shots as they want. No moral accountability, no theological accountability. Oh, they just, and here's what they would do. They would get quiet, and they would go into prayer. And here's what they said. You need to get quiet and empty yourself of all your thoughts and all your feelings and all the clutter. Get empty. Get open. Rest. And find the, the unknowable God. Just open up. That's where Eastern mysticism started, right there. The Bible never tells you to empty, never tells you to just forget and, and get rid of and open. Never, never, never. It says fill your mind with Jesus. Meditate on him and the word of God. Anchor in the truth. Then open up. But these folks were opening up apart from the boundaries of the doctrines of the gospel and the word of God in Christ's presence himself. And of course, guess what happened one day as they were surfing the cosmos, channeling, open up, empty, I'm empty, I'm empty, I'm not thinking anything, I'm not thinking anything. Bing! They made contact with who? An angel. Now, who are the angels? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that. <laughs> Listen up. God made, it says in the Bible, countless. So we don't really know how many, but it apparently is a large number. Countless. Angels, right? They're spirits. They're invisible spirits. They can take the form of human beings because we've seen them, right, in the Gospels. So the angels may are spirits. And that when Lucifer, who was a head angel, 
fell and became Satan, he led a third of the countless beings with him. And together, they make up what are called fallen angels. So who is it that's contacting the open-minded person, the open-hearted, empty-headed, come on in. I just want to hear something. I want to feel something. I want to know something apart from Jesus and the Bible. To go deeper. Bing! And the spirit, the fallen angel, the demon, they're called demons, starts talking. Hey, this is God. Let me tell you. And it's usually something appealing and loving and kind. It doesn't say something that, that you'll totally know, right? And so this is what mysticism was and is. It's that, so here's a quote from a, a good uh, scholar. He said, it's just the opposite with Christians. God wants us to contact him through his son Jesus in prayer as we meditate on God's word and truth, not by employing our minds to be still, to be not thinking and feeling whatever we can uh, spiritually. And so we have to be careful about this. The false humility was they were bragging about these encounters, right? So he calls it false humility. Why? With angel worship. Here's what was going on. How dare you guys think that you can go straight into God's presence? You have to humble yourself and work your way up through the angels. That's what they're telling us. And so they had a hierarchy of angels. They had names for them, and they had protocols, how you would work your way up from this humble state, right? So he calls it false humility, and he says, listen, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man, that we are joined to him directly. We go as invited children into his very throne room of grace to find help in our time of need. And so here was this idea that, no, you have to you know, pray to Mary or pray to the saints. This is where these ideas come from. You, you talk completely straight up to Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and Savior, and he's the only one. And so, listen, mystical, spiritually minded people who, who, who have, you know, who, th- who, who try to be hyper-spiritual, there's always this problem with uh, arrogance and looking down on others. I had to tell a brother once, you know, uh, listen, bro, I've got the Holy Spirit too. I really do. And all of God's people, if you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you cannot be a Christian without having the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come in parts and measures. He comes in the fullness of who he is to anybody who calls on his name. But there are always, you know, hyper-spiritual people who say, you know, well, I've gone deeper and I have a fuller experience than you. Everybody has the same amount of the Holy Spirit if you're saved. So I had to tell him, dude, dude, Billy Graham has the Holy Spirit and he has theological differences than you. Trust me, the, uh, the understanding here is this a fullness of the Spirit. It's not that you get more of the Spirit, but that the Spirit has more of you. You're under control of that. There was another dude, hyper-spiritual mysticism, who was always asking me, this is years ago, when are we going to go deeper? When are we going to go deeper? I always felt like this big, like, what am I doing that's not deep, you know? So, so one Sunday, he still kept saying that. 
And I kept asking him in fairness, like, well, what do you mean? And he never really answered it. It was sort of like, you know, and out of control things and falling on the floor or moving around. Why can't we move around and jump around a little bit and get excited? I said, what about decent and in order do you not understand? The Bible says everything in worship should be decent and in order, that you can invite your unsaved friends and coworkers here and they won't think you're nuts when they walk in the, in, in the building. Amen? Well, they may think that, you know, sometimes, but, you know, the, the job is not to be able to do that. And so, you know, this guy, when are we going to go deeper? He says it after one of these services where there was just a lot of love, a lot of joy. I saw people praying together, you know. The worship was out of this world, just like, boom. You just felt like, wow, God was here. And then the sermon, it was all right. You know? it, it was okay. It was one of those Sundays where I would walk away and go, wow, thank you, God, for using just a donkey like me. And, but it was, it was a good Sunday, right? And five hands went up. There were tears. They came forward, a couple of them. They wanted the Bible. We got them the Bible. We're praying. And so he says, after that service, when are we going to go deeper? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that because you've lost connection, sir. What is deeper? Falling on the ground or jumping over or hooting and hollering and calling attention to yourself? You call that deeper? That's not spiritual. There was repentance. There was rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. People got saved and entered the kingdom of God. There were cell phones going off and the pastor, <laughs> and the pastor was able to ignore it. And more than that, he worked it into his sermon. <laughs> Tell me what is more deeper than someone getting saved, repentance and prayer, and the fellowship of the Spirit, and Christians who are getting encouraged and nurtured in their faith and challenged to go out and win the world. Sir, there is nothing more deep than that. So you know what happens is when you want something deeper than the Word of God and Jesus Christ, you're looking for something, you're going to find it. You're going to find it because there is some, something else out there. And it'll tickle your fancy and it'll make you seem like, whoa, I've, you know, all these. <laughs> I'm not sure I have a response to that except, please answer it. <laughs> now, when the Lord is calling in, <laughs> we know we've hit the jackpot. All right. Now, it, it's so funny, the timing of things, isn't it? Watch out, you who want a deeper experience than... <laughs> Watch out. They're offering deeper experiences all over the place. Watch out. This is it. I, I hate to be the one to have to tell you this. This is all we got. This is all we got. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Son of God the love of God, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, I think you get it. All right, let's finish up with asceticism, which is hard to say, asceticism. All right. Since you died with Christ now, he's going to say, I'm going to give you some theological advice on how to handle this kind of thinking. 
Now, this is how you got saved. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why are you still, uh, why, as though you still belong to it, are you submitting to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not have Christmas trees, do not have Easter bunnies, and all of that. (laughs) These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on what humans think. Oh, such regulations, they make you look real spiritual, and wow, that's really smart. But you know, in the end, they... (laughs) They can't change. They can't take away your lust or, or, or your greed or the way that you get hot-headed and angry. They have no effect. They're just rules. They can't give life. And so let's talk about asceticism is the severe self-discipline and avoidance of enjoyment and pleasure for religious reasons. And what Gnostics taught was that everybody had a spark of divinity within them, and the body was the problem. So you've got to starve out that body from all joy and just feed the spirit, all right? So let me show you another scripture to attack their false teaching. The spirit clearly says that in latter times, Paul speaking again to Timothy, some will abandon the faith, the gospel, and follow deceiving spirits. There they are. Those are angels. And things taught by demons, those are angels as well. Oh, so now we know who's giving the curriculum to our Gnostics. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. They're hypocritical because they would say, hey, you can't be married. And if you are married, you need to abstain. And, and you can't drink wine and you can't enjoy that meal. But they did it. Of course, sounds familiar. (laughs) Hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. Not only did they do it, but they sinned on top of it. Verse three, they forbid people to marry. That's asceticism. In order, and order them to abstain from certain foods, harsh treatment of the body. You can't eat that, you can't do that. Which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything, big word, God created is good. He's talking about food. And nothing, another big word, is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So now you've got the source of the Gnosticism, and the source of the Gnosticism was this, Satan. Satan is a joy killer. If he can't have your soul, he's going to make you miserable, as miserable as he can. And where's the greatest joy? The greatest joys are food. The, great, <laughs> the greatest joys are a good meal and your and married intimacy. He even said they would teach that if you're married, you needed to abstain if you really want to be holy. And Paul the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 has to say, knock that off. That's crazy. Now, if you want to abstain during a rough season in your family and there's something going on, you want to pray and fast, that's fine. But after that season, you guys need to come together again. Or Satan will tempt you and you lose control. But they were teaching, they were following the teachers of the Gnostics who said, you can't eat that, you can't enjoy a glass of wine. Oh, yeah, are you having fun? You know, listen to this. I got a little letter, second century letter that's famous from a seminary student who said, how must I prepare to enter the ministry and your seminary? And here's what it said. And it's very well known. It's a very well-preserved letter. They answer the seminary student, second century. Colored clothing has to go. 
get rid of everything in your wardrobe that is not white. Stop sleeping on a soft pillow. Sell your musical instruments and don't eat any more white, white bread. Well, no comment. You cannot, if you're sincere about obeying Christ, take warm baths or shave your beard. Now listen to the reason for not shaving your beard. Love it. To shave is to lie against him who created us to attempt to improve on his work. In other words, you're saying to God by shaving, look, you didn't do a good job with the natural beard thing, so I need to improve myself. So it was rebellion to God to shave your face. And, and oh, the ladies. Oh, the ladies. <laughs> you poor ladies, man. You've been through a lot with this kind of nonsense. And so the idea was anything joyful, a soft pillow, right? You pagan. You know, those of you who have been to mypillow.com, you know, what's, what is wrong with you? And you've got a big house and you've got this and you're like comfortable that, you know, anything like that was uh, taboo. Now, here's what he says. Love this. He says, let me, t- let me put it to you this way. Let me tell you how you got saved. So how ridiculous it is, theologically speaking, about how you ended up in heaven and saved, that you would be concerned about your pillow, hair length, and Christmas trees. Okay, let let me explain this to you. When you got saved, he said, you died, your old life died. And when you got baptized, you you showed everybody this. You were standing in the pool, your old life, you died. Goodbye to the old you. And uh, you were washed clean, your sins were buried, and up came this new person. Did it have anything to do with what you were doing at the time? No, you heard a message, you believed, and you died with Christ, and you have been connected to Christ, and in his resurrection, you are joined. That is how you got out of here. Now you're in the kingdom of heaven. Yes, you're a dual citizen. You live in Santa Rosa and all of that. But you're more than that, you're a citizen of heaven. You're God's child. And he seated you in heavenly places. Was it because of your hair length, or if you wore makeup, or which day of the week, what? None of that mattered. It was a supernatural. God came in, joined you to him, raised you and put you up in heaven. So how can you say, you know, I'm going to only worship on this day or I've got, you know, 58 minutes in prayer every single day or I can't eat this or I can't do that. It has nothing to do with your salvation. If it had nothing to do with how you got in, It has nothing to do with how you stay and maintain your Christian life. How do you do you do that? Well, I love what he says, the last line. Oh, don't get me wrong, he says. Oh, it looks wonderful when somebody says, hey, I keep the Sabbath or I I actually keep all the Jewish feasts. There's always a little bit of, wow, I, I just feel like I should be doing whatever it is they're bragging about that they do, right? So he says it has an appearance of, wow, you're holier than me, and wow, you're disciplined, and wow, you do what? Yeah, every three days I fast, or I fast for three days, or I try to fast the whole month of January. Somebody told me that. They like to fast the whole month of January. That's fine. I hope you live through it. <laughs> Right, fast the month of January. Don't tell anybody about it. 
And don't think that we should be joining you on that fast, right? This is what he's saying. But Paul's saying, boy, it sounds good. It looks good. The problem, bro, with all your rules and regulations, it can't do one thing to make you more like Jesus. It will not change you. You will, you will have your rules and you will walk into the same traps and temptations and fall every time because your rules can't help you. The ruler, he can help you. And by living in grace and, and love and relaxing in his presence and not letting, did, did that communicate? Yeah. <laughs> not doing that. Now, oh, 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 let me say this. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. There are things Christians do not touch, just so you know. Another guy's wife, you don't touch that right? Money that doesn't belong to you. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. So do, do, there's always somebody who says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So yeah, I'm free. No, you're not. He's talking about do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Non-biblical stupidness that comes as an origin from men and traditions and churches that don't have a biblical basis. But there are things that we stay away with, not so that we can be saved, but because we are saved. Amen? Amen? That's a big difference. But he says, watch out. The only thing that's going to really help you is to enjoy God's love. Do your best. This is a hard call to make because we're not supposed to love the things in the world and what the things in the world that, that take you down aren't necessarily what takes me down. So we have to kind of Walk this thing out in grace and love and peace. Let me conclude with this story. I'm, I'm, I'm laying on the 12th floor, the 11th floor of UCSF for a couple months, 15 years ago, with a bone marrow transplant to save my life. My chances of survival were 30%. And I endured terrible things. And during that time, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to read my Bible. All I, all I wanted to do was be in the fetal position and complain <laughs> and, and moan and, and cry. I was, I was dying. I was nauseous all the time. I was in pain all the time. And somebody brought in the Bible on cassette. I just, oh, I don't want to hear that. I, I wanted to pray. I couldn't pray. Nothing. And then God did this thing with me. He says, I said, Lord, God, I'm useless. I can't do anything. People would come in. I didn't talk to them about the Lord. I just was just useless. Nothing for God. And I was feeling unloved and like a loser. And God poured out this expression of love on me like I had never experienced in my life. And I was like, what is going on here? I was afraid to open my eyes because I would see something. And I was like, oh. you know, it was that kind of spiritual thing. And God spoke to my heart and said, this is how I've always loved you. Not when you're having your quiet time and your preaching, and you're sharing the gospel with anybody with a heartbeat, <laughs> just as I like to do, and even if they don't have one. <laughs> but in my mind, 
performance-oriented me was like, you love me when I'm good and when I'm disciplined, and you don't when I'm not. And God broke me of that on that hospital bed and said, I love you for the sake of loving you in grace. You didn't earn anything. I loved you when you were my enemy. How much more now that you're on the right team, that you're connected to me, that you've been washed by my blood, how much more do I love you now? Not because of anything you do. You've got to get rid of that. And then the moral transformation keeps you from doing certain things out of love in grace. You don't want to do that because your heart has changed. Amen? Let God love you just because he loves you. Stop with all of that. Let's take a walk. Go to the beach tomorrow. Just your Bible, you alone. Sing a couple songs. I'll just let him renew his love for you just because. Just because. Amen? That sound fun? You getting excited, Chris? <laughs> All right. <laughs> he was stretching. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just hard lessons. Lord, we just like laws. It's so easy <laughs> to legislate our Christian life. But it's not like that. You said we're saved by grace. We've got to live in that grace. Show us the wisdom to enjoy that grace and not use it as a license to sin, but as a prompt to be godly. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.